Would you please remain standing and recite with me the Shema, which our Lord Jesus would have recited every day of his life. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We continue on our sermon series in the end of Luke after Easter, beginning in verse 36 of chapter 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still not did, still not, did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of all these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had left them, led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I come from a long line of gullible people, and as I've gotten to know my family and my family's stories, I have found that we come by it honestly. My younger brother, being the youngest, we used to torture him in different ways. Being a family of three boys, this involved a lot of physical punishment, but it also involved a lot of verbal joking as well. So we would trick him oftentimes, telling him things that were not true. Things like he was adopted, or different kinds of things like that, just to keep him on his toes. You don't want a little brother to get too comfortable in this world. But as we grew up, we discovered we came from a long line of these types of stories. One of my favorites is from my mother, the youngest of six girls. She comes home one day, and one of her older sisters has a shiny new half dollar, which she shows to her sisters. My mom and her Irish twin, only 13 months apart, ooh and ah over this shiny new half dollar. And Aunt Susie says, yes, President Truman came to my class today and gave me this shiny new silver dollar. He walked into the classroom and he said, oh my gosh, 
Susie Shea, I recognize you. You're Jack Shea's daughter. And he came up to me and pulled out of his pocket this shiny new silver dollar. The sisters were in disbelief, but as they looked at the shiny new silver dollar and rubbed it and turned it over, they figured there was no other way possible this could happen. It's important for you to know that my grandfather, who lived in D.C. for most of his life, was friends with different politicians through work and golf and other things, and actually knew the president. So the story of the president coming to the class is not unheard of. In that day and age, these types of things would happen, and these types of connections would be made. And so my mom and my aunt knew that the president could look out and say, oh my gosh, you're Jack Shea's daughter. And so as the story went deeper and deeper, they bought in more and more, until later they would find out the president never came to Susie's school, never entered her class, never picked her out of the lineup, and never gave her that shiny half dollar. It was all a story. They were shocked. Fast forward to my childhood as we razzed my brother and told him all sorts of things. It became like the boy who cried wolf when we actually had to tell my brother difficult things. He wouldn't believe it. One night after choir, my mom endeavored out in one of her guilty pleasures taking in the difficult nightlife of Austin Highway, where she would go to an arcade game to play Mrs. Pac-Man late in the evening. Finally, my mom had not come home by nine. Nine passed, nine fifteen, then finally nine thirty, and a phone call rang. It was my mother. She had been involved in an armed robbery at the arcade. She was not one of the robbers, she was one of the victims. But while entranced in the warm glow of Miss Pac-Man, seeking high scores and not being distracted by anything, she didn't hear the robbers yelling from the front of the store to get down on the floor. Entranced by this game, she continued on until one of them came up behind her, pistol whipped her in the back of the head, and she fell to the ground bleeding. Now I'm sure you're wondering what I'm thinking now, Is he telling us the truth? (laughs) My mom lay on the ground in front of that Miss Pac-Man machine with a head wound, bleeding a lot. She knew what this would lead to, and she knew she needed to get out of there. As the robbers went to the back of the room to open the safe, she decided to run for it. She darted out the store, down the shopping alley, and into the local Albertsons where she rushed in with a head wound and lots of blood and asked them to call 911. And then eventually my father. Our neighbor, Margaret Millsap, came over and stayed with us. We didn't know what was going on. When the paramedics got to the Albertsons, they stitched her up and sent her home. And mom returned to the house covered in blood. We were shocked that this Miss Pac-Man game had gotten so out of hand. We were comforted by her hugs and her reassurance from our parents that she would be all right. And we went to bed that night late and slept in early next morning, to which Mike came down to breakfast. He had slept through the whole thing. And Mom told him what had happened. She said, Michael, last night after choir, I went to an arcade room 
on Austin Highway, and I was part of an armed robbery. And they hit me on the back of the head with a pistol, and now I have these scars. And Mike wouldn't believe her, probably because of all the stories we had told him over the years. Finally, my mom had to produce the blood-stained sweater to prove to Mike that we were not pulling his leg. It was like Jackie Kennedy's pink dress, if you will, proving to Mike what had happened, and he started to believe. I apologize for the harsh stories, the big references, but I think this story this morning would have startled the disciples more than we realize as we sit comfortably in our pews this morning and hear it. The risen Christ himself, the one they watched strapped to the cross and died in a painful, excruciating death, appears now in their midst, and they are perplexed. They are surprised, to say the least. No worries of who would have pulled their leg in the past or what stories they would have heard. It would have been difficult for them to believe. So it makes sense that Jesus would come to them with these reassurances of his reality. See, touch the places in my hands and my feet where they scarred me. Give me fish to eat so that you can discover that I am not a ghost. Jesus comes to his disciples and to us with these reassurances of his presence and his reality in and amongst us. Scholars talk about the sensible nature of the risen Christ, that he appeals to the five senses. We can see him, we can smell him, we can touch him, we can hear him, and dare I say it at the communion table, we can even taste him. The risen Christ comes to the disciples with this reassurance this morning to say, I am not a ghost. I am not merely a wild story. I am not even a figment of your imagination and provides us all the proof we need to understand that this is really him. Not from a distance heard in a message from the pulpit, but right up close where you can reach out and touch his own wounds. And this is what changes the view of the disciples. This is an important turning point in the life of the church where we get to encounter the risen Christ up front and up close, where we get all the assurances we need to believe. Church, I find it interesting that doubting Thomas gets a bad rap when actually all the disciples have the same questions and get the same assurance that Thomas does. I won't believe it until I can actually put my hands in his side, he says. And we give him this label as if there is something wrong with it. Friends, we get to bring our doubts of Jesus honestly and openly in the presence of community and God himself to say, I'm not sure if this is you or not. Scriptures record that numerous times leading up to this in the Gospels before Jesus has even died, they mistake him for a ghost because he is showing up in such amazing and unexpected ways. For instance, walking out on the lake to meet the disciples, and they look out and they say, are you a ghost? And Peter says, Lord, if it is you, call me and I will come. Time and time again in our lives, 
The risen Christ shows up to us and we're never really sure if it's him and we get to ask. We get to ask for the assurance we need. We get to doubt the message and say, I'm not really sure and that's okay. One of my Old Testament professors would always use the example of King David in the Psalms where he approaches God and cries out in prayer and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He asks God these questions. My enemies storm the gates. Where are you? My professor goes on to teach that faith is not, the doubt is not an act of faithlessness. The doubt brought to God is an act of faithfulness. And us bringing those questions to God is a normal part of this relationship where we ask for the reassurance of who God is because God is the one who reveals this to us. And friends, in my experience, and similarly to the experience of my brother and the disciples in this scripture this morning, God is always willing to walk us patiently and gently and reassuredly through all those questions. Who are you? Is this really you? Reveal yourself to me. God's favorite thing is to reveal himself to us, those he loves. That's the whole reason he's made the whole trip, is for this relationship. And so us coming to him to say, is this really you? And God getting to reveal himself to us, that's the core of the whole gospel. So we see in this story this morning, the place where we get to bring these questions to God. Those questions we ask in the quiet stillness of the night, the wonderings we have of the whispers in our heart when the songs speak directly to us, when the scriptures seem to hit just where we are that day. God, is this really you? And Jesus comes and he says, look at my hands and my feet and the marks in my side. Watch me eat this food so you know that I am real. This is not a trick. This is not a farce. This is the risen Christ coming to the disciples and continuing to coming to us and generations before and after us to say, it is me. I am he, the Messiah, the risen Christ. I have conquered sin and death and they exist no more. And now there is eternal life. See what I have suffered. Scholars point out that we need this risen Christ to know what it takes on the journey. Without the reality of the risen Christ having to go through the cross, this could all be hogwash, and it could all be fine and dandy, and we won't have to suffer but notice on the other end of that suffering is this great and amazing joy. The end of our passage, it ends with the disciples going out after being blessed by Jesus as he ascends. And where do they go but to the temple itself? Where the entire narrative of Luke's gospel begins in the temple with the good news of Christ coming. Now they return to the temple on the tail end of the good news of who this Jesus is, they have now experienced him in fullness as the risen Christ.
and they go off to celebrate. Friends, what a great difference than the last time Jesus left. They saw him hanging on the cross and they thought all was lost. And now they know with reassurance that Christ lives in and with and amongst us all. And this is the good news of Easter that continues on. This is the good news of the risen Christ that comes back to us and the disciples and says, yes, it is me. It is he. I am the one. Jesus comes to us in the midst of our questions, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our wonderings, as the risen Christ, in a new form, in a new way. And he answers all our questions, shows us everything we need to know. And then he says, get ready. Because what I have coming next will blow your socks off.